This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I'm going to give you the reaction that I had to the cancellation of UFC 249. We'll also hear from UFC President Dana White's interview with ESPN about how he dealt with everything. And then we're going to talk to the New York Times' Kevin Draper, who reported on all of these stories and seemed to have an effect on how all of this moved forward. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 3 p.m. right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, you know, it's so funny. Right after the show gets out, I'm just doing some work, playing a little Mortal Kombat, doing some more work, and then news breaks about UFC 249 being canceled. I mean, I just can't believe we got to where we got, but here we are. Um, let me make a couple of statements outright. We'll get to this audio here in just a few minutes, but let, let me start the show a little bit of a different path. Oh, I, I know some folks uh, are going to be upset about it, which is entirely human and entirely understandable, right? Uh, for any number of reasons. If you are a fan at home, this was probably disappoint- totally understandably disappointing to you. If you're a fighter who was counting on a paycheck, I can only imagine how disappointing this must be. All, although Dana White said he was going to take care of folks who had, um, who were scheduled to participate at UFC 249. So we'll see about that. But, um, okay, still, you could have gotten double your money or whatever. Could have been a lot more. So there's that. You know, if you're a media member, this is... Folks don't seem to realize this, but if you're a media member, this is bad news, right? It's the lesser of two forms of bad news, but it's bad news because now there's no event to cover. Now there's nothing. And so you have to find a way to do coverage without any activity happening in the sport. It's not easy. It's not fun. Um, The sport didn't win today or yesterday, however you want to say the sport didn't win. I didn't win. If you're listening, you didn't really win. Nobody won. All we did through the course of this happening was avoid the worst of a potentially calamitous outcome. That's it. He didn't really win anything. I can't go to the mailbox right now and check to see if I got my award prize and trophy for UFC 249 being postponed. It doesn't There's nothing coming my way beneficial about it other than the peace of mind knowing that the risks they were taking, we won't have to worry about the potential costs of them. That's it. That's the only, that's the only real benefit that is conferred. Nothing else. Um, so I won't call it a dark day for the sport. I will call it what it is a relief. It's a relief. It's a relief that we don't have to risk this because even today I see people not really thinking through this all the way. People, I I, I get, I get being upset, but I just don't understand what it's so hard to, to consider if framed this way, namely how bad would it be rather how sure are we? That safety protocol that's heretofore unproven um, in an event that is not part of state regulation 
how comfortable are we that that will help us uh, in every case avoid an outbreak that given the tenor of mainstream press won't result in some kind of cataclysmically bad event and dire, dire press as a consequence. I mean, this is what I was worried about. Yes, fighters getting sick and taking it back to their folks. Yes, of course. But but also on top of that, that's the first concern. But also on top of that, I think I was concerned about the sport, man. You're concerned about the fighters first, and you're concerned about what that means for the sport second. And I could never tell you with a straight face that I knew something bad would happen. I can't do that in anything in my life, whether I get into a car and drive, walk down the street, stretch here in my house, sleep, nothing. I have no idea what the future holds. I think the future is largely unknowable. But in terms of taking risks, no one has developed safety protocol to this date in conjunction with a wide spread um, inclusion of differing minds about what constitutes safety in this regard. Epidemiological consensus about the dangers of this are changing in a way that makes it more drastic by the day. And I can only imagine how bad it would have been for MMA if, God forbid, and it may never have happened, but God forbid, they go to do this show, catches, you know, does well, but somebody gets sick at the show verifiably without knowing it, passes it to a bunch of other people without them knowing it. And the press is UFC avoids state regulation, tries to host a show during a once in a century pandemic and causes, even if it's a mini outbreak, an outbreak just the same in a state in California that has done actually a pretty good job of avoiding the worst of this. I mean, that folks, I, I got news for you. That would be very, very bad for us. Very bad for us. There is no victory lap here. There's no cheering moments. No one gets a parade. It's got nothing to do with anything. If you want to breathe a sigh of relief, that is the most satisfaction that you are entitled to. You and me. That's it. You want to be pissed because we're losing fights? I get it. I'm not mad at you for it. I understand. But this, 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 had to, this had to happen. For the, for the security of the sport, this had to happen. And it's interesting how it happened. Yesterday after the show, I'm, I'm on social media, and I see that Senator Dianne Feinstein from California, who I, I will say nothing nice about as a politician, but who is a ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, came out and said, this should not happen. And according to Kevin Draper, who we'll speak to later, y'all, the governor of California called Disney and ESPN executives and said, you might want to put a stop to it. So they did. And then they called Dana. And they put a stop to it. That is crazy. That is absolutely bonkers. I never saw that coming. That tells you how deep this went and how important it was for people who are in charge of the public's health for this event to not go on, given the risks. It sucks. It sucks, I know. It's not a great chapter in MMA's history. 
It's not a celebratory one for anybody. And for folks who don't already know, a bunch of MMA media folks have already had their hours cut and some have been furloughed and they haven't announced it yet. I mean, they told me, but they haven't announced it yet. That's a real thing that's happened. 249 being postponed or canceled only makes that worse. They don't win here. There might be a triumph in the battle of ideas, right? In the sense that, um, you know, the, the, the policy for which they were trying to advocate won the day. But that policy is not some achievement in and of itself. That policy carries consequences for everybody. Dude, I'm telling you, there's going to be more layoffs in MMA media which I'm sure there are to, to the knuckle-draggers of the sport, that will be some kind of retribution, not re- being able to connect the dots and realize that they advocated for their own demise for the safety and security of the sport. That's why they did it, because there are some people in this world who cannot understand the concept of doing something that doesn't directly involve self-dealing. If you can't do something that just directly and immediately benefits you, why do it? Because sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. Sometimes you have to do things that might be bad for um, you or people you care about. But because of the larger concerns, they hold sway. That's all this is, and that's all it ever was. There's no difference. So, obviously, 249 being canceled is only a relief in the sense of the safety concerns and the potential blowback that could have happened. And in every other way, it sucks that it got canceled. In every other way. We had the caller yesterday who wanted to know when we were going to get to fight talk, and the answer was next week. Well, that's out the window. We'll figure out something else to do. But, yeah, it makes, by the way, it's going to make doing this job of the show harder. We now have less coverage to do related directly to the sport and the sports events. We advocated on behalf of that. We advocated against our own interests in that particular way because there were superseding interests that are just more important. It's hard to, it's, it, it, it's hard to do a show about MMA, principally anyway, when there is none. But it doesn't matter. It's not the point. Uh, On some level, you have to be able to put that aside and say there are bigger concerns here. There are bigger issues here. There are bigger fish to fry. And those are the issues that we need to pay the closest attention to. Those are the ones we need to care about the most. Those are the ones that really, truly matter. And to have the sport essentially shut down in the way that it was by the governor of California is embarrassing enough but it at least avoids the most calamitous end of things. And so for that, I breathe a sigh of relief and nothing else. Talking to the biggest names in pro wrestling. Friend of the show, Cody Rhodes. I particularly told people living in fear is no way to live. And honestly, I just wanted the platform to say that we're all in this together and that we're going to get through this. And please enjoy the two hours of hopefully escape and distraction uh, we have for you tonight. I, this is a very unique time for a wrestler. Busted Open, Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation. 
Yesterday, UFC President Dana White, uh, you know, you can imagine not especially thrilled about any of this, decided to uh, speak with ESPN's Brett Okamoto. I want to get to some of this audio here um, if I can, which I can, of course, so I will. Now, uh, Dana has, you know, can't imagine he's thrilled about the situation, so let's just go piece by piece here, and let's see what he says, let's react to it, and... um, yeah, that's it. Here we go. It's loading. Today we got a call from the highest level you can go at Disney and the highest level uh, of, of ESPN. And uh, one thing that I've said since we started our relationship and partnership with ESPN that has been an incredible one. It's been an amazing uh, partnership. Uh, ESPN has been very, very good to us. And the powers that be there asked me to stand down and not do this event next Saturday. Now, according to the reporting of Kevin Draper, the reason why was because the governor of California called ESPN and Disney and asked them to do that. And what manner he asked them or what he said or what he did, we do not know. But apparently it came from the governor. And of course, we also know uh, a senator from the state, Dianne Feinstein, uh, had also weighed in as well. So at that point, it had reached the levels of uh, fairly high governance that they were concerned about it. Um, he does not mention that. I don't know why he doesn't mention that, but he does not mention that. Um, so Tachi Palace, by the way, he sort of confirmed that it was the it was the spot. We're ready to go. And one thing that I need to point out is that uh, Tachi Palace in California, the Indian Reservation, has had our back this whole time, has stood their ground and uh, was willing to do this fight. And let me tell you this, when the world gets back to normal, the California event will be Atachi Palace. Hmm. I'm, do- I'm doing a fight there. I'm going to bring them a big fight. And I appreciate them um, standing with me uh, in, the- in this thing. Yeah, so apparently it was Tachi Palace, which I guess that portion of the Jeff Sherwood slash Jeremy Botter slash New York Times reporting uh, ended all up all being correct. I'll be curious to see how this show looks at Tachi Palace um, when they do that. Uh, okay, so let's just sort of, let's roll on here if we can. All of my fighters that are under contract with me, I want them to feel safe, take time with your families, and, and uh, you know, enjoy this time. Don't worry about the financial part of this. You're going to get the fights on your contract, and I'm going to make things you know, uh, right with the people who are willing to step up and fight this weekend, not this weekend, but next weekend on April 18th. And I'm going to take care of as many people as I possibly can. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. That's all I think, certainly that's all I ever wanted was the show to not happen, give these guys a modest stipend, and then let's figure out what safety protocols are and then get back at it. Right, that's it. It's as simple as that. So this puts us uh, a little bit closer to that kind of reality. And certainly... Um, this is the reality. Any, any kind of corporate di- corporation does not, you know, if it's largesse that they're handing out, they don't have to do it, but I still think it's the right thing to do. And that would be them doing what I would consider to be the right thing. So I'm glad to see it. Um, let's get back to ESPN. Listen, I do what I say I'm going to do. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I do it and we get it done. Um, you know, when I got the call, and, you know, these are people that I'm partners with, people whom I have a lot of respect with. And, and 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say yes. You know, I, I obviously care a lot about, like I said, the fighters, my staff, and the fans. The fans, by the way, the fans have been amazing. You know, the people that have reached out to me from celebrities to fans to friends and family and whoever it might be, the support has been unbelievable, and I appreciate the support very much. It's been incredible. And my staff. My staff is, you know, that's why I fought so hard and making sure that I'm not laying anybody off. My mm. staff is world-class, you know, the best. So um, it's all good. We're going to get through this, and uh, we'll be the first ones back. Fight Island's coming, all the good <laughs> stuff. It's coming, man. I, we'll, we'll get this thing squared away and get, uh, you know, get a date from ESPN, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be back first, and we'll get these fights going that everybody wants to see. Well, one more note about like the fighters feeling safe. I mean, the best way to do that is to not stage the event. Like, here's the whole thing about it. Like, number people got on Nurmagomedov, and we'll talk about this later. For trying to follow protocol for a while, ends up getting stuck in Russia, and then kind of basically decides, eh, I don't really want to fight in the middle of a pandemic, uh, risking the ire of the fans, which we've commented on before. Here, here's the point. It's like the. It, it, the choices the UFC was making at the top in terms of pushing through with these events, it forced a series of difficult choices for other fighters. Now, some were gung-ho about competing in any capacity whatsoever. Some were kind of on the fence about it. Some didn't want to do it uh, at all, but might have been uh, willing to comply out of virtue of economic necessity. How do I know that? Some of them on that card reached out to me and told me precisely that. So the whole point is if you really want them to feel safe in a pandemic, you don't host the show. That's, that's the real way to achieve that because it forces for everyone below them, UFC staff, ESPN personnel, whatever, it forces them into compromised choices that they otherwise probably would not be making. Um, now, people do want to work to make money. That's true. But if there's a way to have some kind of financial compensation while keeping in practice with – public health consensus at this point, that's going to be the preferable option for virtually everyone. So something to keep in mind. Um, all right. So let's get to him talking about the New York times. People don't know, um, you know, what we do here and, 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 and they don't even try to know, you know, you saw this article that came out yesterday where this guy's talking about the, the health and safety in the hospitals and all it's all lies. It's not true. What, what this guy wrote in the New York Times isn't true. Not fact at all. But these are the type of things that, um, you know, and there's been tons of stories. And you're going to have these people that have these opinions. You know, some people are on this side, some people are on that side. I don't crack to that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that, that, that other people won't crack to it. So here is what Kevin Draper wrote in response to that. Um... The facts are that a UFC, this is what he writes on Twitter, the facts are that a UFC PR representative did not answer my phone calls Tuesday or Wednesday. Nobody from UFC has asked for a single correction. Mark Shapiro, the president of Endeavor, the UFC's parent company, spoke to me on the record yesterday and raised no concerns. I asked the UFC tonight for an on-the-record interview with White and whether they have had any uh, factual objections to my reporting. I have not yet gotten a response. Um... Obviously, Dana does not have a favorable view of any kind of media that is not, um, essentially, that doesn't just double as public relations. And so the kind of reporting that Kevin Draper had done is never going to win you friends. But when Dana says it's all lies, 
what particular claim is lies. And if the New York Times is printing lies that you can verifiably show, I have seen them ask for corrections before inside and outside of MMA media. I've seen that. I've literally seen that from them. Um, I'd be curious to know why they wouldn't ask for one here. If, in fact, the New York Times, the biggest newspaper, certainly in the country, if not the world, is printing lies and you don't ask for a correction? That's strange. That's just me thinking out loud, but that seems... I would want that... Listen, if it's... If it's... You know, a site I used to work at, Bloody Elbow, if they're printing something you don't like, that's one thing. The New York Times? I don't know, man. You might want to get that one. You might want to show the world that you were done dirty on that one, if that's the case. So, you know, I'm not inclined to believe... I'm inclined to believe anything where you can marshal together evidence. What I'm not inclined to believe are just claims. Uh, so, keep that in mind. All right. Uh, since you could do the ESPN event, but, you know, he won't. And I'll, I could still go Saturday. I could go do this event. Um, you know, I'm sure ESPN, if they w- that would let me do it on Fight Pass. But ESPN doesn't want me to do it. Mm-hmm. They're my partners. They've been nothing but amazing to me. I mean, before this even happened, all you heard me talk about this entire last year was how amazing ESPN is, how smart these guys are, how, how uh, well everything's been done since we've been here. They want me to not go, then I won't go. But I'm going to make sure that everybody's taken care of, from my fighters to my employees. And, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's good here. You know, we, we're living in very uncertain times right now. Um, a lot of people are worried about how long does this last? Where uh, Am I going to have a job? When are they going to start laying people off here and there? Nobody's getting laid off here. My fighters will get every fight that they're supposed to get this year. Everybody's going to get paid, and all of my employees are taken care of too. Yeah, that's good to hear. It's good to hear. The only thing I wonder about ESPN is, did they buckle to the pressure because the governor leaned on them or because they also agreed it wasn't the right idea? I wonder about that. I don't know what the answer is. I, I truly wonder about that. Um, again, he reiterates he's ready I to can go. go. I can go next week. Mm-hmm. I and can go. didn't indicate. They just said that they don't want to do it. I, I can go next week. So whenever my partner gives me the thumbs up that they're ready to go, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I suspect he will be the first one back. Um, I don't know how much to add there. Uh, when does he think the UFC will get back on television? I was planning on being back on schedule April 18th, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, April 18th, I was going to be back putting on fights, and we'd be back on schedule by the end of May. Yeah. Right? So um, n- now i got to figure it out. You know, people just need to, listen, stay in shape. Stay in shape and, and do the best you can. And uh, we-, we need to figure out what's next and how we're going to play, mm-hmm. play, you know, play our next hand. It'll be very interesting to see when they come back. I suspect it will be sooner rather than later, again, relative to other sports leagues. That part I'm not in any way doubting. But relative to our expectations, I think, is going to be the interesting one. And then do they do it under what circumstances? Do they do it under the full auspices and um, guide you know sanctioning of a of a state athletic commission and not just any old one but like a big one that'll be the really interesting test for me and so i don't know i guess we're gonna have to see but that's that's kind of what i'm looking for here um gets into fight island here very quickly 
it's loading. Sorry. Fight Island's going to happen. It's obviously still being, um, you know, all the infrastructure is being built right now and, and, and get, getting put in place. As we get closer to that, then I'll start figuring out booking fights, getting guys ready. Plus, I can ship guys over there earlier and they can start training over there on the island. Um, so once that's all in place, you know, you're looking at like a month. Huh. A month I'll have that all put together and guys can start training and can go there. I'm sure people are going to be ready to get out of their houses in another month and, you know, go to an island somewhere and train. And so that, that's all coming together. It's all going to happen. Um, I could, I could go next week, but, you know, this is what it is. And I'll see you, I'll see you in a month. I don't have anything to say about the Fight Island until we know more details. But the only details I'm focused on when we get to them is that infrastructure that he had indicated what the infrastructure is that allows them to fulfill all of these missions that they have. I have to say, one thing the UFC is very, very good at, I think in general, a thing that they do well is that um, they try to build things that makes them less reliant on others. So, for example, having the Apex, the Performance Institute, Fight Island, right? Um they still have a, a gazillion partnerships of the highest order and they work with venues around the, the country and the world and blah, blah, blah. It's not one or the other. But to the extent they can find ways to make themselves self-sufficient, they do. And then last but not least, he says the following. Not, this, this date was, was, was my goal to get this thing April 18th. We did it. Mm-hmm. We did it. Mm-hmm. We, we got it done. This fight can happen. Um, so, I, I, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, but he didn't do it. That's the whole point. The whole point is no one knows if the safety protocols that the UFC had set up for this were going to work. Nobody knows. We have, we have fairly strong reason to believe that the safety protocols followed in California and New Jersey as it relates to MMA sanctioning um, in terms of preventing infectious disease spread or uh, any other number of screens, but they're pretty good about that. Actually, it works real well. It works very well. Um, nothing works perfectly, of course, but right now there's just a zero tolerance to the extent that you're a sports organization. And I know everyone's like, what about the grocery store? What about the grocery store? It's not the level of societal importance of a grocery store relative to cage fights is fairly significant. And by the way, protocol at these grocery stores is changing by the day too as we get more information and new regulations are handed down. But sports is, in terms of societal function, sports is a luxury of a well-functioning society. It's what you get when society runs well. And so until you get that, it's hard to have any kind of sport. Uh, As I mentioned, I think UFC will be first back. I think there will be some clear conditions under which they will be back. I understand all of that. But to just declare victory before you actually really know if this is sufficient as a medical screen, you can't do. You just can't do it. I'm not trying to be difficult. It's just a reality. You can't do it. They, they, did not, they, they think they figured it out. They might have, but they don't actually know that. They, there's no way to know that. So that seems very premature in my mind. 
basketball has become a global game. From legends such as Hakeem Olajuwon and Dirk Nowitzki to today's superstars like Giannis and Luka Doncic. Giannis to the rim, slam it with the left hand. There's no shortage of international talent in the NBA. World of Basketball with Fran Fraschilla is a podcast dedicated to profiling the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the sport in their countries. New episodes are available Thursday on the SiriusXM app and Pandora Podcasts. All right, joining me now on the hotline is a man who has been doing pretty extensive and important reporting on this story for the New York Times. It's Kevin Draper. Hi, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Luke? Kevin, it has been an interesting week. Welcome to the world of MMA. What have you learned yeah, about it? it? It sure has been. I, uh, you know, I've covered MMA off and on uh, uh, for the last few years, and it is a wild world. There's no doubt about that. All right, so um, I'm not really sure where to start the story, but I guess let me start with this question then. How did this news that the UFC, this is, I guess is going to have to be several weeks ago, how did the news that they were trying to put on a show in a pandemic cross your desk? How did you find this? Um, I mean, it, at, at that point, it didn't seem that different than all other sports news. Every other league was trying to figure out how they could possibly hold games. Would empty arena games work? Would, uh, you know, uh, MLB has floated this, uh, I don't know, Arizona quarantined bubble proposal. Um, so at least back then, I don't think it was any different than what just every single sports promoter was trying to do. It was only in the last week or two when it was, oh, you've actually secured a location, you're actually going on with this. <clears throat> every other league has figured out they can't do this and you're still going on. That's when I think it kind of became a, a very unique and interesting thing to report on. Um, so what's interesting to me about it is it, MMA media had been, had been really kind of upset about it for about a month or so. Um, dating back to the UFC Brasilia card, then the London one, which got essentially canceled, and then there was a couple other ones in between. And right. at the time, mainstream media wasn't paying attention. So I guess my question is, what was like the pitch to your editors? Were they saying, who cares? Like, how did they get, how did you get command of the story? They, they gave you some room to work with here. Right. Well, so I think, you know, at least a month ago, the problem was that the entire sports world was on fire. And, you know, I'm a sports business reporter. And every single story was a sports business story at that point. Once we're no longer having games, every single story is about money. Our players getting money, our you know, owners going to have to sell teams. And so there was nine million things to focus on. Uh, but when we finally got to this week, not that there's not that going on, but the Olympics had already been canceled. So we didn't need to kind of focus on that story. So uh, a little bit of the noise around sports had winnowed down. Um, and then my editor, Oscar Garcia, uh, he was formerly an AP reporter in Las Vegas. Um, he, you know, obviously knows MMA pretty well from from that stint. Um, and I think, you know, the the paper doesn't. We don't cover MMA much. We don't cover boxing a ton like we used to. You know, ten years ago, there was a boxing correspondent, not anymore. Um, but it's something that I'm sort of personally interested in. So I think when the noise died down a little bit and this looked like it was going forward, it was let's go see what we can find out. Yeah. Um, before we get to some of the details of the story. Let me just ask you about a motivation question here. Wall Street Journal had a report about the amount of money UFC would get. $750 million was a report if they had met all the inventory, 42 shows in a year. That seems like a decent theory about why they were pushing so gung-ho. Another one would be, you know, every time you heard Dana White say something, it was not necessarily in keeping with epidemiological consensus. None of us are, but what, in listening to those experts, um, he wasn't really repeating what they were saying. So why do you think UFC was trying to do this? 
I mean, I think that's the million dollar question that is the hardest one to answer. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know is the, the short answer. The longer answer is um, people around Dana White are insisting it is not economic. I mean, I talked to Mark Shapiro, the president of Endeavor, which bought UFC, and he insisted it is not economic. ESPN is not pressuring UFC to you know host these fights so that they can have something on their air and get a good pay-per-view number. Um, you know, UFC isn't in, he said UFC is not in dire financial shape where they need to, uh, you know, put this on for some reason. Uh, and so, you know, at least according to him, who should know a lot about what's going on, uh, it, it was not economic. Um, I have to think that economics had something to do with it. Uh, it being the only sport on, I think, would certainly be valuable. Uh, ESPN would love it if go-kart racing was live, let alone UFC. You know, they would take anything that you can get. Um, but, I, but, but I do think also kind of this is how Dana White has always operated. He's always said, I'm going to do what I want to do and what I think is right. And and I think I can do this. And UFC has been on the leading edge of a lot of things, uh, many of them good, some of them bad. Um, and then finally, I think there's it's easier to do it with UFC or boxing. Uh, you know, tennis and golf is easier. Football, it's impossible to play during during epidemic. And so it was more possible for UFC to do this than a lot of leagues. Uh, but I think we'd have to we'd have to get Dana White uh, to tell us that, and he's not really sitting down for interviews right now. No, I mean yesterday he called. I know you addressed it on Twitter, and we'll talk about some of the pieces of the reporting here. Uh, he insisted that the reporting you had done for the Times, which was over a series of articles, to be clear, wasn't one. Um, he didn't say what about it was lies, but he called it lies. And for folks who have not seen your response to that, it is what? Uh, it is, uh, you know, it is not lies. Um, you know, I, I before every single article, hours before them, I called the UFC to either get comment or try to talk to people. They didn't answer those phone calls. Uh, nobody from the UFC has ever reached out to me and uh, asked for a correction or said any. I, I got a fact wrong still today as of, uh, you know, afternoon uh, Eastern time. Uh, no one has done that. Um, so I've asked them. I've asked Dana White for an on the record interview and asked them if they have any problems with my reporting. And somehow they have still not actually brought any specific concerns with it. Um, and so I think it's just kind of. Uh, you know, you've been following this for decades. Uh, you know, Josh Gross, you know what happened to Ariel Helwani in 2016. Um, you know, the UFC, kind of more than any major sporting organization, they believe the role of reporting should be promotional. You know, Ariel Helwani got banned. I believe it was revealing that Brock Lesnar was going to fight at UFC 200, which, yeah. which, you know, is a good scoop, but that's not... You know, that's he didn't reveal some, you know, massive scandal or something like that. It's that he messed up UFC's timing of a promotional release. They hated it. They banned him for what ended up being like three days. Um, and so and so I think the actual problem is that my reporting is accurate and and it flies in the face of some of the things the UFC is saying. And, and that is their problem with it. The problem is not uh, that I got my facts wrong. Have you ever seen a sports league where uh, Dana's not a commissioner? He's much more in terms of the uh, the nature of his role. He's much more of a team owner, like a Jerry Jones or something. Um, but in terms of like the guy who is the, the top of a sports organization, have you ever seen a case where he one has this kind of fan devotion um, and command over fan sentiment in the way that Dana White does? 
No, I mean, I, Jerry Jones is a good comparison. Um, you know, there's a few. Mark Cuban uh, is, is similar in that he's kind of vocal and out front and, and in the face of his franchise. Um, and I think plenty of people like Mark Cuban a lot, uh, but I don't think people are devoted to Mark Cuban. Um, but I think it's also a different context. You know, Mark Cuban bought in, I guess, in the early 2000s, about the same time UFC kind of started rising. But, but, You'd have to go back to whatever, whoever founded the NFL in the 1920s to get a more comparable figure to someone who, you know, along with the Fertitas and along with other people sort of dragged the sport uh, uh, into the the mainstream. And so it's not just a guy that puts on fights or a guy that, you know, uh, pays pays fighters or pays players. It's a kind of much more foundational role that that people identify him with. So they went about this show. And, or tried to go about this show, UFC 249, and there were pieces of your reporting that seemed to indicate there were levels of concern. Just the Cliff Notes version, what would you say in your reporting did you find to be the most concerned, concerning as it relates to either health and safety protocol or self-regulation? I think that, you know, like you said kind of at the top, this is a, a fast-moving thing where epidemiologists are, um, you know, every single day learning new things about the coronavirus, and every single day governments are kind of reacting to new information. Um, and so, you know, it, uh, you can't say there's a consensus about this or that, but the closest we get to consensus is every single relevant body saying this is a bad idea. It's the Association of Ringside Physicians saying there shouldn't be fights. Uh, we can't fully protect against coronavirus and fights could, you know, help overload hospitals that are already dealing with a lot. Um, you know, it's hard enough getting people to shelter in place. Uh, and now you're saying, you know, you're kind of showing an example of, of flouting those rules. Um, it's every single basically state athletic regulatory commission saying we're not going to sanction fights right now because we can't, we don't think we can do it safely and we don't think it's the right thing to do. Um, and so I think there were kind of major, uh, you know, health concerns and, and that is the most important thing. So what's ESPN's role in all this? Because at first the way Dana White had spoken to uh, another reporter there, Brett Okamoto, he had indicated ESPN and Disney had asked him to stand down and none of that's been challenged. But additional reporting from you said it came that that pressure from Disney and ESPN ultimately was a function of pressure, perhaps from Senator Dianne Feinstein, but certainly Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. So if the governor of California never calls them, does this effort just roll on with ESPN's approval? I don't know. Um, you know, kind of historically, ESPN, you know, they're they're a part of Disney. Um, they are they are a little bit conservative with things for years, uh, probably even until a few years ago, you know, MMA barely got on Disney airwaves. And part of that is because, you know, they didn't have these contractual relationships. But part of it is that kind of that lingering, you know, John McCain, this is a uh, uh, blood sport or whatever that I think was believed at Disney. And, you know, they're a family friendly company. They don't want us on their airwaves. So I think to a lot of people, you know, just uh, uh, them signing a deal with UFC in 2018 was uh, surprising in the first place. And now you have a company that, you know, Disney is incredibly active in China. They saw the very beginnings of the coronavirus. Their park in China shut down in, I don't know, January at some time. Uh, they have film holdings there. Uh, you know, kind of they are living this uh, uh, at the front lines and are a little bit conservative. And so it was I think always 
tenuous that they could support a plan that kind of was so out of the mainstream consensus of what was safe that it was being held on tribal land to get around state and federal law. Uh, so I don't know what happens if California doesn't step in, uh, but I have a hard time imagining that ultimately Disney would have been comfortable with this plan. Dana White also said that they had another state and another athletic commission ready to go with you know, full, the, the full imprimatur of a state commission lending its credibility I mean, there's like, what, five states left that don't have shelter-in-place laws uh, or, or, or some kind of enforced mechanism on the books? It's like Arkansas and like a bunch of Midwestern states. Had you heard anything about that? I have not done a lot of reporting around that, and so I, I, I can't say too much about that. I think you're right. There's a there's maybe nine states that don't officially have a shelter-in-place order, um, but even then, some of the commissions in those states that don't have it have have still said they're not holding fights. There's also something like 15 to 20 tribal commissions. Um, and so it's very possible he could have gone to a different tribal land than the one he chose. That might be, you know, he might be uh, meaning something a little bit different on state. Um, uh, but, but that, you know, involves different hurdles. Uh, if you're bringing UFC personnel out of Las Vegas, and it looks like they were going to use, uh, you know, sanctioning personnel out of out of Nevada, uh, not kind of officially under the Nevada State Athletic Commission, but but those same people, it's a somewhat easy drive uh, or. or private plane flight in the grand scheme of things to uh, central California. If you're using some tribal land or commission out of Florida, now we're talking about plane flights, uh, you know, commercial flights, increased risk of coronavirus, uh, you know, a lot of things like that. And so uh, I'm not sure that another state was a magic bullet here. Let me ask you about the uh, the narrative inside of MMA. And it's, it's on some levels partly under, understandable. Some levels, I think, incomprehensible. It's this weird tension between them, namely... You've got inside the bubble, certainly there were people who were against this thing moving forward, but you had a really significant amount from fighters to other people. And you can understand fighters having a financial motivation. They're underpaid to begin with, and then this was a check they were waiting on. I, I don't begrudge them that per se, but uh, that Dana White was really trying to do everyone a favor and that what this was really about was we can find solutions when everyone can't. So similar question to what I asked previously, but maybe asked a bit of a different way, which is... Um, if the NBA tried something similar, even like a three-on-three -three kind of game, would they get credited with solutionism for it but inside the community of NBA? Uh, I'm, certainly there would be many people that would be just happy, oh, God, any sort of basketball is on. Uh, you know, they're doing a weird virtual uh, horse game where uh, Chris so, Paul and some other people are going from their house. So it's, you know, they're, they're, they're not violating uh, any stay at home orders. And I'm sure uh, people are going to be happy to watch Chris Paul shoot hoops via Skype. Um, but, but they, I think they would get killed for doing it. I mean, they, they don't understand why, um, you know, it's been a big topic over the last few weeks something like eight NBA teams have gotten full coronavirus testing, even when, you know, this was a month ago. And even now it's hard, very hard for kind of a regular person who has, you know, very flu-like symptoms to uh, uh, go get coronavirus testing. And so they've gotten sort of slammed hard, justifiably, I believe, on questions on, are you taking advantage of your celebrity status to use up resources that, you know, the country needs right now? Um, and that was just for testing among people who 
in some ways are the candidates who should test, who are showing symptoms, who they interact with a lot of people, they travel around and so they can spread this thing. They, they're in close contact with lots of people, you know, playing a basketball game, being in locker rooms. And so in some ways, and that's the NBA's defense, you know, they, they are people that should be tested. But, but that's just on the question of one test when they had some positives. And now you're talking about everything they would have to do to run a three on three like Dana would have to run. We, you know, we still don't have answers to those questions of how many tests were they going to have? Were they going to have any? Uh, it would be such a logistical undertaking that would get questioned every single minute step along the way uh, that I think it's fair to say that kind of any, um, uh, you know, either criticism or just questioning of the UFC's plans uh, was not something that happened because they're the UFC. It's something that happened because they wanted to get dozens of people to fight in the middle of the worst pandemic of any of our lives. So how would you, how would you characterize this chapter for the sport and for UFC individually? Again, you have a competing narrative, certainly inside the sport, but, but from outside, um, they they went up. They, they had the whole show in Brasilia with no COVID nineteen testing. They had intended to go on UFC London without it, but the whole thing got scuttled. And it brings us to today. Then the governor essentially has to intervene as they move outside of state commission testing. Again, a lot of folks are going to say, "We're uh, in, in my world." Wow, what a great effort! But I, I just can't help but feel a little bit. This is a really ugly moment for MMA. Yeah, I I, I think that, and, and I think this has been true of the last few years that. Kind of this is the story of uh, a lot of companies when or a lot of fandoms when you go from sort of being small and insular to being kind of macro in mainstream society that, you know, for years, uh, you know, UFC has wanted mainstream recognition. You, they wanted the money that comes along with that. They want to be on ESPN or ABC and not, you know, Spike TV uh, or whatever it was. And, you know, fighters are getting paid in ways that they didn't. And, and there's all these kind of really big benefits that come with with becoming mainstream. Um there's also some downsides that you are no longer kind of among diehards, but you have to deal with casual fans who don't know what the people are and tickets, you know, start becoming very expensive and uh, media or politicians that may not have cared about you before do care about you. Um, you know, they're not owned by a couple of renegade casino brothers from Las Vegas anymore. They're owned by private equity companies, like the most establishment things that, that can happen. They have $100 million, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of contracts with Disney, the most establishment company there can be. Um, and so I think you see this in, in video gaming. Um, you see this in soccer somewhat in this country. You see this in a lot of places where uh, it's kind of a, a tension-filled and um, just kind of rocky transition from outsider to insider status and adjusting to that. And I think that's kind of what this is, that 10 years ago when UFC is the ninth most popular sport in this country, things are a little different. Today, when it's the fourth or fifth most popular sport in the country, uh, uh, the, the spotlight is a lot harsher. Well, certainly it was some uh, strong reporting, uh, and uh, I was really glad to get this opportunity to talk to you. Kevin Draper of the New York Times, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Luke. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Catch The Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.